founder or an entrepreneur. You want to take your company value to 300 million, we gon' show you how to do it. We got the roadmap, the aspirations. We'll give you a game plan and strategies. Seize control of your company's destiny today by tuning in to Private Capital Mastery. Yeah, yeah. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Private Capital Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Franco, and we're here to bring you thought-provoking material and content for CEOs, founders, and entrepreneurs. Today, I have Dan Stevens with UBS. Dan Stevens is a Harvard-educated certified financial planner with a wealth management team at UBS, one of the largest asset management companies in the world. His team, known as the Signature Legacy Wealth Advisors, they work with successful entrepreneurs and executives, providing them boutique-like financial planning in wealth management services. He has seven professionals with over 75 years of experience on his team, and they collectively handle roughly $1 billion of assets. Dan, thank you for being in here with us in the studio, and thank you for spending the time. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Brian. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, Dan, I, I give an intro. Tell us about yourself. Sure. Uh, so, our team's core competency is working with successful entrepreneurs and executives, primarily based around a long-term advice-driven relationship. And oftentimes, it revolves around either a family transition or some sort of liquidity event in a business. So being able to do a lot of the pre-trans planning on the front end, and then of course, retirement and estate planning or whatever else is next on the back end, being able to merge those two together with the same team of experienced professionals, we found has been extremely valuable for our clients. Absolutely, absolutely, because you know these large liquidity events that you know, a firm like Meritage Partners you know, creates for these clients or collective clients, what happens is you know, they have, may have been very good at uh, you know, managing a, a few million dollars of, of income per year, but when you're mm -hmm. talking about massive, massive amounts of liquidity, it's a different playbook. It's a right? very different playbook. It is a completely different way of well. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, in the let's talk. Let's today. talk about it. So let, let me let me ask you a couple of questions, and I'll I'll sprinkle them uh, along the way, and and please, you know, enlighten us, share with us your experiences, your your success stories, and case studies. So this is really where I think you know the the, the messaging makes it clear because you know some of the feedback that we, we we've had on the show and and from the audiences. Look, you guys are talking about some amazing, thought-provoking uh, subjects, but so pretend like pretend like I'm a six-year-old kid, right? Sure. And so, not not that the audience is not educated, but you know, there there are different stages of gathering and collecting this information. So, right. um, but with that said, tell me about you know your clients' experiences. You know, when it comes to that liquidity event, when it comes to selling that business from a financial planning perspective. How should they be thinking? Who should they be talking to? What does that look like and how do you approach it? Sure. So business succession planning, to your point, is a strong focus of our team and represents a lion's share of our business. And I'd say contemplating a business sale or transition can be one of, if not the single most complex and impactful event, financial or otherwise, in any business owner's lifetime. So having the appropriate partners in place to be able to professionally curate a plan and then ultimately see it through to be successful, that's extremely important to its ultimate success. Uh, I think over and above the technical expertise that's required, and we'll get to a lot more of that in a little bit, 
one of the most important things to remember when it comes to business succession planning is that it's an extremely emotional process. Absolutely. Right? Even for your clients that may describe themselves as not overly emotional, <laughs> there is a strong attachment to this because for a lot of people, their business is a lot like their baby. Mm -hmm. right? They may even call mm -hmm. it that. Now, they create the business, they nurture it, they grow it, they see its success. They oftentimes even spend more time with the business than with their actual babies. Yes. I mean, it, there is a strong bond there. So the reason why this is really important, Brian, the reason I bring this up first is that without a quality financial plan in place at the start of all of this, it's a very slippery slope yeah. into making enormous life-changing financial planning decisions purely based on emotion. Absolutely. And when I think about this, I almost think of it, you know, in, in financial terms where you have, let's say, a linear chart, right? And, and you have, you know, logic, which is typically, you know, straight lined, right? Mm -hmm. Logic is logic. Sure. But the volatility is the human emotion, which could be up and down and up and down. And it's, it's expected. Mm -hmm. We're all human. And when you build a business, you know, there is that, that financial reward. But let's face it, I mean, some, some entrepreneurs in their early stages of their businesses, they, didn't, they weren't able to pay themselves or they deferred compensation to mm -hmm. feed the business for growth purposes. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it and when you think about it like that, that emotional drive was, was needed. No doubt. Right? And so to, to separate the human from that emotional kind of positioning and, 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 and you know, the volatility that comes along with that, right? <laughs> sure. But it was needed. And so, at the, but at a stage like this, when it comes to planning, when it comes to replacing that income to feed the lifestyle that they've come accustomed to, right, it's, it's different. It's and, very different. And I think the, the biggest differentiator and how to still have those emotions, I mean, that's very normal, but to be able to see it yes. in black and white, this is where yes. I am now, this is where I'm projected to go, and yeah. this is how we plan for it, that gives it an enormous sense of surety. So the emotions that are no longer guessing whether the market's gonna be up or down tomorrow, it's, oh, I feel really great because I've accomplished so much as a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I, you love whiteboarding, I love whiteboarding, but we, we titled this Visualizing the Sale, and you know, had we had a, a whiteboard set between us and, and walk through it, that's exactly what we would do. But today we're going to be talking about that in conversation form, but sure. you know, we'll certainly have some contact information uh, at the end of this so that those that do want to spend that time with you and visualize the sale, I think that that is really going to help them connect with what ultimately they're trying to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so there's expectations in that, but um, you know, but let's continue because I don't want to get too far ahead and, sure. and I want to kind of go through what we, what we wanted to uh, uh, focus on here. But, sure. you know, as you and I both know, you know, listeners understand what we're talking about mm -hmm. conceptually, right? But it'd be very helpful. Again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a six-year-old. Sure. <laughs> Give me an example from your experience in, in, in not just in layman's terms, but, you know, go, go into some depth and, and help us understand how this logical approach and how this well thought thought out approach with your team, you know, look, it's collectively 75 years of experience with a billion of uh, under capital management. I mean, that doesn't happen by mistake. Right. right. Uh, sure. How about, do you mind if I share a case study with you oh, yes. uh, of some of the, I'll start with some of the negative impacts of emotional investing. Do you mind if I share? That, I think it would be fantastic. Awesome. So I, we have a client, we'll call him Donnie. Okay. Uh, Donnie is a successful entrepreneur. He had an exit, 
and he ended up netting about $5 million. Donnie had a prior engagement with a company, Boeing. You may be familiar. Yeah, yeah. I've been and, on one of their planes recently. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> and, I'm still, uh, and I'm still here to talk about it. <laughs> I'm so glad. Uh, Boeing's been in the news a lot recently, and yeah. of course during COVID, but uh, what this was prior to COVID. Anyway, he put his $5 million all in Boeing stock because, again, mm. he had this emotional attachment from mm. a prior engagement with Boeing. Our advice to him was, look, nothing necessarily good or bad about Boeing specifically, but our advice to him was putting all your eggs in that one basket conceptually is extremely risky. Mm -hmm. Even for a company that, uh, prior to COVID in particular, was so uh, successful as, as Boeing, you just don't need to be taking on that kind of a risk. Well, Donnie didn't see it that way, and he was living off of the dividends and interest from this $5 million portfolio. COVID happens. And Boeing shares drop from about $450 per share down to about $70 per yeah. share. So his $5 million portfolio dropped from about $5 million down to about $1.2. And by the way, they weren't paying dividends. Mm. This was a major issue for him. Mm -hmm. What ended up happening was it took him about three years to recoup a fraction of what he had had before. And now he's living off of a diversified portfolio that we curated for him that's designed to give him income but with about half of the proceeds he originally had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I recently heard a phrase, the easiest way to make money is not to lose it. Oh, that's absolutely <laughs> true. Well, and that's part of why you hire a third-party fiduciary that's right. to unemotionally act yeah. in your best interest and help yes. guide you through that process. Because yeah. sometimes the emotion is really challenging and you make bad choices. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I say this on the show a lot, that I've never made good decisions in the emotional state, right? And, and most of us can, can relate to that. Well, anybody in traffic right now knows exactly how that feels. <laughs> so what is this, what is this uh, you know, the business sale process look like you know, for one of your clients? And, and when do you get involved? How involved are you? And, and you know, post-liquidity post event, what's that relationship evolve into? With, the, with you and your, and your clients? Sure, so um, well, that's a very loaded question. Let's, yeah. let's break that down because okay. uh, conceptually speaking, there, there are two phases to a business liquidity event. There's the pre-transaction planning and there's the post-transaction, call it retirement, estate planning, kind of the next steps planning. Uh, in the pre-transaction planning, this is basically just life as we know it for most business owners, right? This is time spent growing the business, working with your management team, putting out fires, you know, typical, life as a business owner. And a lot of the challenges that they're working with are things like competition in the marketplace, uh, rising cost of material, supply chain issues have been a big one. Uh, very common recently too is the cost of keeping key employees. And by the way, if you think it's expensive to keep a key employee, try losing one, especially to a competitor, my goodness. Absolutely. But at this point, having those kinds of challenges are very different from the challenges that you'll face when you end up selling. I have a statistic for you, Brian. I think you'll find this interesting. I, Mind love, if I, love, share? I love stats, yes. All right. So according to a study done by the Exit Planning Institute back in 2019, a whopping 75% of business owners who go through an exit, quote, profoundly regret that decision within 12 months of the exit. Why am I sharing this on an investment banker's podcast? <laughs> there are three main reasons for that feeling. Yeah. Number one, and this is, I think, far and away the biggest one is a failure to plan. Uh, for those that think they have an exit strategy or an idea of what they want that post-transaction to look like, usually what it means is they've only thought of one aspect of it. 
So let's say you know, Mr. and Mrs. Business Owner think of the management continuity, for example. Yes. That's great. You have the management team in place. You have the new CEO. That's awesome. Hmm. But there's so many other pieces to it that having that one piece is not the whole pie. And 12 months into it, it can be really challenging. Number two, we talked about this a little bit, the emotional attachment to it. Yes. It's very hard to shift gears from that life as we know it, the fast-paced business ownership lifestyle into really anything else. Mm -hmm. And unless you have visualized what that's gonna look like after the fact, it can be a really challenging adaptation. Mm -hmm. And then number three is just letting go of your legacy. Yeah. Uh, for many of the business owners who, let's say, still to a strategic or whatever have you, watching somebody else run your company, presumably slightly, if not more differently than, than you just ran it, that can be a little challenging to stomach. Oh, yeah. I, well, I did it this way, I've learned to do it it's gonna be challenging for a lot of them. These are all things that are really important to think about while fielding offers. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree and I, I use the same stat as well because it really helps an entrepreneur understand you know, what, what are others going through and based on this survey, what, is, what have others have experienced, right? Because when we're hired on a case, we wanna be able to avoid these sorts of, of, of Disappointments. This is a disappointment. Seventy-five percent. I mean, that's enormous. That's enormous. And so, how do you how do you combat that? And from our practice and from our approach, it's really understanding, you know, where they are, where they want to be. And in some instances, we have clients that are fortunately young enough in their life where they can sell either minority or majority portion of their business, bring on what we call smart money or a, a capital partner that is going to help them grow and accelerate their company mm -hmm. beyond their imagination, right? And it does require different thinking in a, in a different way of, of operating the business. Now, mm -hmm. the best thing anyone could do there is preserve the culture because right. it's once you disturb the culture is really when you disturb the business, right? Mm -hmm. No doubt. Um, and so, you know, that, that's a whole other topic and conversation, but I think that the, the planning really allows for them to see, okay, Am I, am I going to enter this transaction, create this liquidity event, and then sail off into the sunset? Or the other scenario we often go through with clients is, do I bring on a strategic partner, grow scale, uh, and, and in that process, you know, take off majority chips of the, off the table mm -hmm. and have that second bite of the apple that we call? I mean, that's an option for others as well. But what, what I want to drive home there is that it's a stepping stone into retirement. It's not that I'm working a day and tomorrow uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my right. life. And you know, if it's a husband that was running the business, the wife's asking him, what, what are you doing at home? Right. What do you, what, what, get out of here, go do something. Yeah, you sell the business on Friday and Monday, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, <laughs> it, it's so common though, and that's exactly why you bring on an experienced team of professionals to help them think of things like that. I mean, there are a lot of business owners who are really good at making widgets, yeah. and they may never have thought of doing something like that that you just yeah. described. So in your approach, you know, and, and you and I have called this really the second stage, this is life without the business. Mm -hmm. Right. You want to go into that now? and Sure. Uh, like the post-transaction side. Post -transaction. Because to, to your point, a lot of business owners think, okay, I got my chunk of change and now I'm riding off into the sunset. And the reality is it's a little different than that. Uh, because in that post-transaction phase, this ought to be the fun part. Right. You have more time to spend with family, with peers, do your hobbies, go travel, spend more time with charity or church, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. The question, though, is now how do I use this bucket to support my lifestyle? Yes. 
That lifestyle, by the way, is not just the traveling and doing what you want to do. You're used to collecting the income from your business. You're used to running expenses through the business. The literal style of your life has been revolving around the business. So all of that changes dramatically. Part of it that we can control, and a lot of the planning that we do around that in retirement, comes from creating that bucket from which to pull over a lifetime. And ultimately what we do is we size, manage, and invest that bucket even with a plethora of other risks involved. So right now inflation is a big topic. Uh, right. Of course, interest rates are an issue. Things like disability, long-term care, healthcare costs can be long-term issues. If somebody sells their business at 50, they still need to be retired, God willing, by 80. So what does that look like in 30 years from now? It'd be virtually impossible to do that on your own. And so that's why our team will run all of those risks, including market risk in particular for fire drills, to be able to show them empirically, I see with my eyes, even with all of these risks, this is the direction that I'm headed. That, that, that speaks volumes when you're able to do that and illustrate that, that plan, right, uh, in, in, on a screen or on a piece of paper. It just, to, to the whole theme of this episode, you know, visualizing the transaction, right? Visualizing the sale in, 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 in this instance, and it could be real estate, but you know, this, the topic that we're talking about uh, on the private capital mastery is primarily businesses and sure. companies. You know, at times real estate is attached to that business and, and those same strategies can be uh, applied to this, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that that's helpful for, for folks to understand. No I, doubt about it, because without doing that kind of a planning, you're consistently concerned about what the market's going to do today, tomorrow, and the next day, and wondering if what you have is actually enough to do what you yeah. want to do. The reality is that doing that quality financial planning and implementing a proper investment strategy with a team of experienced professionals to help shepherd you through the process can make that very intangible or emotional side of a post-transaction mm -hmm. to become a lot easier to manage. You're buying your time back, you're buying your sleep back, and you understand yeah. this is where I'm headed. Yes. So if I had it my way, every entrepreneur that had a business plan, they would incorporate an exit strategy plan, which typically does not happen, <laughs> right? That would be a good survey, by the way. Right. But I'm not, I don't get everything my way, and that's okay. Sure. Right? But, but at what point should a client, a potential client, consider talking to you? When's, when's too late? When's too early? If, if there's such a thing. That's a great question. I think there's a lot of value to be added at any stage of the process. So is it too late? Well, maybe to add the most value. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that anytime an owner is considering selling their business, that's a great time to start having those conversations because there is demonstrable value to be had before the transaction, like we've talked about a little bit. Uh, and then of course, after the transaction and setting up those buckets to be able to pull from in retirement. Uh, again, I encourage it sooner the better um, in, in what, what folks sometimes, and, and not specifically entrepreneurs and CEOs and founders of these companies, is they say, ah, you know, I, I want to be done by age 65. Okay, great. Well, how old are you? Well, I'm 60. Mm -hmm. I got five years. Well, you know, I, I bring it to their attention that, okay, well, look, I mean, you are, you are a very important piece and part of this business. And for you to sell on Friday and not show up on Monday is, is going to hurt the business potentially, right. or the perception from the investor or the buyer could be that, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, typically we like to plan and allocate time in that timeline you know, for, for the planning, for the actual process and the sale, 
and leave enough room for at least a year, sometimes two year transition period. Sure. Because integration is key, uh, post-closing integration of the company. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I think that it's, it's comforting to know that, you know, in the way the equation works, the sooner they connect with you, the more efficient they're gonna be with their planning. You know, and, and, and you could go into that because every, every client situation is different. Of course. And, um, but, so, so tell me, um, a couple more questions here for you, but what, yeah, what sort of value do you bring to clients after the transaction is signed, mm-hmm. sealed, delivered, everyone's high-fiving, popping bottles of champagne, <laughs> doing backflips, whatever they do, right? <laughs> Uh, well, step one is enjoying the champagne, of yeah. course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in retirement, one of the, the things that we do as financial planners is help the clients become comfortable with capital markets. Mm-hmm. What we find for most entrepreneurs is while they may have some sort of a stock or bond portfolio on the side, real estate on the side, a lot of their capital has been reinvested back in the business. And so getting comfortable with capital markets is really important because what's usually done is once that business is sold, that chunk of change is turned into a cash flow, right? It's no longer an asset, it's a cash flow. And this process is designed to, it's a great conversation to have with people, but it's designed to understand where's the money invested? How do we create that income literally from the assets? How do we leave a remaining legacy and so on and so forth? That's the retirement side of things. Even more than that, is the estate side of things. I, I have another statistic for you, if you don't mind Please. me sharing. Um, so our UBS's own investor watch report called Wind in Your Sales, uh, we surveyed more than 500 business owners who are either planning to sell their business or have recently done so, just to understand how they're navigating uncertainty and working to identify their life's mission after the sale. Uh, these are typically business owners that don't have quite the advisory relationships that you and I have been talking about. From our research, over a third do not have an estate plan, period. They've put no structures in place to minimize taxes or shield proceeds. They've done none of that. Yeah. Isn't that surprising? It, it, it is, and it's, it's <laughs> surprising is definitely a word, but it's also, I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, the power of this information and the way it's being delivered, right, is so important because Otherwise, you know, who's going to be provoking this thought in these individuals, right? right? And so this is why an episode like this is so powerful to be able to talk about these scenarios. And, and look, this is, th- these, are, these are great stats, you know, 75% being unhappy after uh, a transaction. You know, why? How do you, how do you avoid that, right? right? And then also, as you said, is it, uh, you know, one-third not having an estate plan? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just at the level of success of, of clients that in cases we work on, it, it's very surprising that, especially with the sophistication of these clients, that mm-hmm. one third of them do not have this estate plan or an estate plan in place. Mm-hmm. So I think it's extremely valuable to, to, to certainly go down that road, put that plan together. And um, because I like options personally, right? And look, I, we, we all want things to go the way we want things to go, but you know, there's always variables and there's always surprises in life. And so mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't plan for all of them, but you can certainly, to your point in the work that your team does, you could simulate and you could see what the world would look like down the road, you mm-hmm. know, based on historic uh, movements in the market and, and activities. So I think that's, that's extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. And that insight is not easy 
to do or find or locate on your own without a team behind you. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, could you give us a couple, um, you know, high-level examples um, of, 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 of this work that you're doing and, and, sure. and uh, specifically, you know, what, do you got, what are you doing and what have you done after that, that deal was signed, sailed, and delivered? So a couple of examples of this, number one on the estate planning side, there may never be as good an opportunity to pass assets to your heirs as prior to the sale of a business. So I'll give you an example of this. There are two different types of valuations, a business valuation and an estate valuation. The business evaluation is primarily to get the highest valuation possible, to get the highest amount of money from the highest bidder and get the biggest chunk of change out of it. That's what we do every day. It seems pretty obvious, right? <laughs> The estate valuation is a little different. Okay. And the reason why it's different is because it's designed to almost minimize the yeah. value of your business. Why, why? would I do that? <laughs> well, why? It's counterintuitive. Why would you do that? It seems very counterintuitive. Yeah. But the reason for that is when you gift minority shares to your heirs, mm -hmm. the purpose is to get some of it out of your own estate so you're not bumping up against that cap that's set by the IRS that says only a certain amount of your net worth will be non-taxable to your gen uh, next generation or to your heirs. Anything over and above that is taxed at a very high rate. Right? The first million is just under 40%. Anything beyond that is taxed at 40%. Hmm. That's enormous. Hmm. So being able to gift, call it 10% of a company that's smaller relative to 10% of a company that's bigger, you're now giving the same percentage of your company out, but it's a lower amount that counts against that estate cap that we're talking about. And being able to do some of that planning, again, in black and white, is extremely valuable to a lot of people. How about for those that are charitably inclined? Yeah. A gift of shares of a closely held business to a charity prior to a sale of a, an, uh, of a business is an extremely attractive and tax-efficient option for a business owner because by transferring those shares out, you're not paying capital gains taxes when you sell that business, and neither is the charity. Yes, because they're typically structured under a 501c3 as an example, correct? Exactly. So this can be an extremely tax-efficient way to maximize the value of a gift to a charity while also not having it hurt as much, and it counts. It doesn't count against your cap. So it's it's an absolutely fascinating. Yeah, a lot of people may want, have those charitable inclinations, but they may not know some of these strategies. It's fascinating. It is. It is. And, and I never thought of it this way. And as I'm listening to you, you know, walk us through this, it, it's almost as if the IRS, you know, awards you for having an estate plan and they penalize you for not. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't written or drafted that way, but in, in, in when you kind of hear it, that's what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a great nudge and it's a great motivator. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as you and I, talk through this and, and I think you know probably most people don't know just how important their their charitable and charitable and estate planning is right mm -hmm. can you give can you give a client example of what what some estate planning would look like for for a client absolutely so I'll, I'll give you an example and we'll, we'll call them Bob and Susie sample love it sample okay. clients. Uh, <laughs> Bob ran a company was a very successful entrepreneur he had a very large exit and our team helped see them through a successful retirement. Okay. Bob and Susie just as individuals were extremely charitable people and having some charitable profits go towards charity also helped them from a tax perspective as well. So uh, what we ended up doing was aside from the retirement side of things, we also managed the investments for their family foundation that was set up for charity. Mm. After a while, and this is really sad, Bob started losing his mental faculty. 
happens. Yeah. It happens to a lot of it, billionaires, centimillionaires. They have the same problems as everybody else. Yeah, that's right. And what ended up happening was when he started losing his mental faculty, Susie didn't want the responsibility, really the burden, of managing the family foundation because it's extremely complicated to do. So part of why you have an experienced team shepherd you through the process of retirement is one of the things we were able to do for them was we helped convert with the help of a CPA and with an attorney, we converted that family foundation into a donor advised fund, mm. a DAF. Mm. And without going into great detail, the DAF helped remove that burden of managing the family foundation. It's a lot easier to manage. The DAF will give to charity for many, many years. They still have wealth that will last them several generations, God willing. Yes. And their daughter will now have a simplified estate to manage from her perspective. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, when you think of legacy, right, you know, the wealth was generated through the business. But, you know, you also want to you know, leave your family with the least amount of burdens. And so the more that, from my perspective, the more that I can plan for my wife and my children, right, the less that they less of a burden that they will have from, from planning all of this. Because the reality is to, to do this in an emotional state after someone leaves this earth is, as we talked about earlier, you know, that volatility of the human emotion mm-hmm. interrupts the logical thinking that's needed for this type of planning. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you think it's a morbid conversation to have now, try not having a conversation. Exactly. It's really hard. It, absolutely. And that we've seen it. You yeah. Know, we've seen it. So... This is this is perfect because you know we you know, we we walk through and talk through a lot of you know who's planned who hasn't statistically how do you plan what options do you have and there's many we've you've given us a few case studies and examples mm-hmm. but as we come to a close I really want to I want to zero in on, on something with you last question here and you know because you talked about how clients right your, your your clients need to become even our clients collectively need to become familiar with these capital markets and sure. and hence the show's name, Private Capital Mastery. We mm-hmm. want them to master this, right? Because the quicker that they do that, the more equipped they'll be to have these conversations. Of course. But, you know, from a client's perspective and from your perspective, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, this is not called private capital adequacy. This is private <laughs> capital mastery. So what we do is for a lot of people out there, for a lot of people who are investors out there, they're seeing things like interest rate, volatility, deglobalization, Israel, Hamas, Russia, mm-hmm. Ukraine. I, I think there's an election this year. Yes. I would say a lot of people out there aren't exactly getting the warm fuzzies no. out in the marketplace. No. And the reality is that from an investment perspective, you can't just sit on the sidelines. So what we focus on is what's called quality. Okay. We find high quality tends to work very well when managing the proceeds of one's life's work. And yeah. that's not just stocks or bonds, we also include oftentimes alternative investments, uh, which we could probably have a whole podcast about. <laughs> it's a growing, point. it's a growing segment, and and uh, it, we could, we maybe even you know you could break that into a series. But oh, yeah. no doubt. <laughs> uh, but long term, we, we find entrepreneurs tend to like this asset class yeah. because over time it may help provide the portfolio more consistent, long term, higher returns. That's important. That's something they may really value. Absolutely. I mean, the value behind this information is, is, is important. The work is even more valuable. Mm-hmm. And the options that you have and, and you shared, I mean, they resonate with me as an individual, and I'm sure they do with anyone listening and tuning in. Um, but, you know, give us, give, us some, give us some more information in terms of, you know, 
how do how do listeners master these private capital markets? <laughs> sure. Well, as we bring this conversation full circle, this is exactly why I have an experienced team of professionals because the reality is investing for investing sake it typically doesn't work out very well. Mm. The reality is investing is a means to an end, not an end itself. Yeah. And so if you don't know what that end is, you're kind of just shooting from the hip, which I would argue is no plan at all. Yeah. For those listeners who have investments but don't have a plan for them or don't see, visualize with their yes. eyes what their investments are geared towards doing, I would argue that that's not having a plan. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so important to have high quality financial planning relationships with an experienced team of professionals to help protect, grow, and organize your assets, particularly after a business liquidity event. Yeah. The, the team is crucial and the team is going to help you see uh, what I say around corners and through walls. And so tell us about your team. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So the, the Signature Legacy Wealth Advisors at UBS is here in Newport Beach. Okay. Uh, there's a well-known statistic about UBS that some of your listeners may be surprised I haven't cited yet, but over half of the world's billionaires have their money invested with UBS, which means by definition, UBS manages more billionaires' assets than anybody else on earth. That's impressive. Right, and so let's say, Brian, you own Disney. Okay. And you had $5 billion to invest. I'm making this up. Okay. Uh, what you would do is you would go to UBS and the UBS advisor would create a financial plan for you, uh, help organize your financial affairs, identify goal rates of return and asset classes to include and exclude within that plan and ultimately grow, protect and organize that financial plan over its life. What our team, the Signature Legacy Wealth Advisors do very well is we bring that level of sophistication from UBS's billionaire family office capabilities down to the millionaire and centimillionaire level. Those that need that level of sophistication but may not otherwise have access to it. So for your listeners that either don't have a financial plan at all or feel that they need an extra layer of sophistication involved in their financial plan, that may be worth a conversation. 100% agree. And Dan, thank you for spending the time here. Thank you for the wealth of knowledge for those that are seeking to preserve their wealth and, and ultimately, you know, because they worked hard to develop it and create right. it. And we talked about earlier in the episode where, you know, entrepreneurs, you've heard, you've heard stories and I hear stories which are very inspiring of how they have bootstrapped their companies and, and, and the emotions they've gone through through the whole life cycle of that business. Mm -hmm. And you know, to, to thread that all together with wealth advisor, estate planning, and looking at all the options that are available to them. Because Uncle Sam, you know, he's almost in, encouraging you to create this estate plan and this wealth plan as you, as you enter into this next stage of your life, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll, I, I could give you a couple case studies as well. I'll, I'll make them quick, but, you know, the first case study is no wealth. You know, the do-nothing plan. Just pay the tax and, and be done. Mm -hmm. um, it's inefficient. It's stressful. And if, if the founder of that firm is still here on earth, um, it's not any easier doing it at the last moment than it is doing it you know, incrementally over time. It's just, you know, would you rather run you know, 200 miles right now or run five miles a day for, for the next several weeks, right? Sure. <laughs> and so I think of it that way because you know, there is a journey here and it really depends on you know, who, who you have access to in the market. And, and to master these private capital markets because it's complex, right. and and that's why 
this show is, is split up into so many episodes because there's so many topics that we've talked about and still need to talk about to get the information out to folks out there listening. But um, I, I just really appreciate you and your time and your wealth of knowledge and, and your experiences, the case studies. It really helps bring everything to life in the illustrations you described. And the goal here is to visualize the sale. So we want to encourage those listening in, if you want to learn more from Dan and speak with Dan, we're going to have some contact information for you directly to him so that you can open up a dialogue. He could get to understand your story, your needs, your expectations, and really help you visualize that sale. And we will also have the opportunity to, I think, we should, we should come and have you back on the show, and we to. should talk about some of these other topics that we, we scratched on, but we could certainly go deeper uh, in terms of subjects and, and topics and, and details. So in any case, I really appreciate you joining this episode of the Private Capital Mastery. I hope the title of the show, uh, specifically this episode today, was, was aligned with what you were looking for. And if it wasn't, perhaps it provoked some thought in you that is gonna cause you to make an action to prepare for your future. I'm Brian Franco. Thank you for joining this episode of the Private Capital Mastery Podcast. <laughs>